Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today I'm here with Sally Farron. Sally's an accountant who often goes by the name of the pricing queen. <laughs> Sally has taken her skills from the corporate arena and now supports businesses to understand their accounts and price their products and services so they actually make profit, which would be very nice, wouldn't it? Um, welcome to the podcast, Sally. Hi, Rosie. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm really excited to have you talking to us today because pricing and setting our fees is something that really stresses out pretty much every psychologist or therapist that I talk to who's gone into private practice. It doesn't feel natural. Uh, just to warn you, there are loads of mindset issues here, mine included. So you're going to encounter some of those, I suspect. Um, but I'm really grateful that we're going to get to benefit from your wisdom on this topic. So can you tell me a little bit about why you're so passionate about pricing and how you got where you are now? Um, yeah, so as I said, I'm an accountant um, and I have a background in corporate businesses. But then when I started out on my own three years ago, I discovered that actually one of the biggest things is that people massively, massively underprice their services. So when you're in a salary, in a business, in a job, you've obviously get a salary and that works really well. And you just take that home. Whereas when you're in a business, there's a whole load of costs that you just don't even think about. And then you've got to pay yourself at the end, which means that actually when you start looking at comparing your job to your business, it just doesn't it just doesn't look the same <laughs> and that most people massively, massively underprice. So I moved about six months ago into the niche of pricing and yeah, just lots and lots of conversations about pricing and we all have pricing issues. It doesn't matter whether you are a year in business, new in business or 10 years in business, there's always some sort of block about pricing. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's so true. And I imagined when I started out in private practice that three years in, I would be much more comfortable with my pricing. I'd feel sorted. Every time, in fact, I've put my prices up, I've thought, this is it now. I've reached the level. I've, I've done it right. Um, Ticking the box, that'll be fine. And actually, every year I am challenged to think about it differently. It's really important to recognize that as kind of part of a business's journey. Yeah. Yeah, and I think so and as you get more experience and and also that generally, you know, again, in a job, you might have had a price increase as you know, you might have had a job in, a salary increase as part of your job. You know, you've got to keep in line with inflation. And I always think that really you should put prices up regularly and frequently, like every year, rather than waiting five years and then going, oh, I'm going to put it up by 50 percent. So put it up by a small amount regularly rather than loads in one go. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So I think, you know, we've established, haven't we, that a lot of people get their pricing wrong. Um, and I'll hold my hands up and say, I definitely charged the wrong fees. I've, I've talked about it on this podcast before. Um, but when I started, I was actually making less than eight pounds an hour for my private practice um, because I got this so badly wrong. Uh, but what are the consequences that you see of people getting their prices wrong? Why does it matter? Well, exactly that. You can be earning less than the minimum wage when you actually start working out how many hours you're actually working versus how many you can charge for. So often we forget about all the admin hours and all of the stuff that goes on outside. So it might be when well, you're doing, you know, you're working three days a week as a in practice, 
but actually you're also you're actually working five days a week because you're doing a whole lot you're doing all the admin and all the other stuff that goes with it well you need to be making enough in those three days to cover the whole lot not 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 just on the three days um <clears throat> and then it just means that you just don't make enough you know you're not making enough money i mean the main the main issue is you're not taking home enough money i mean it does it happens to all of us it happens to me i was just saying before that you know i'm about to about to have a chat with a client who's who's not charging enough who's not paying enough and i'm like right okay i've got to have that conversation it's going to be a tricky one but it's got to be had because actually i don't have the capacity for so many clients so it's um and it's making sure that you don't burn out which is also a massive issue you need to know how much you need to earn and therefore how many clients that means you're going to have to take on and is that actually realistic mm. you know when you start looking at how many hours of client work am I going to do and how many how much am I going to charge is that going to pay you enough mm. and you either put the price up or you work more hours so in lots of the stuff I talk about you should package your time and all of that sort of thing and you should sell your value but in this case I know that you you it is a price per hour kind of thing but you've got to be really realistic can you work 40 client hours a week you'll be burnt out you know mm. it's exhausting work so you've got to be able to say well actually if I put my prices up I can deliver better value to the client because I'm not so stressed and exhausted um but also experience really counts you know if you've got 20 years experience they should be paying more than if you've got two years and keeping mm. up all of your professional development and all of that sort of thing um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact is, if you undercharge, the person that you are probably doing a disservice to is yourself, because it's usually your own salary that sacrifices the situation, because you basically, you pay everybody else, and then you pay yourself, or you pay all your other costs, and then yourself, and whatever's left is yours. Well, there's never anything left if you're not careful. Mm, I think that's so true. And that, that definitely speaks to my experience. I think when I started out, I undercharged to the point that I needed to see a lot of people to just cover my childcare costs, really. Um, and as people who've listened to this for a while know, I was not working for fun. I was working because my family needed um, me to bring in an, an income. So I wasn't meeting that need that my family had. And I was working all the hours under the sun. And having kind of unmet basic needs does not for a good therapist make it doesn't like we the reality of our situation in our jobs is that we need time to think we need time to reflect we need time to do cpd and we need time to do self-care because if you don't have that stuff in place then you can't deliver the work that people need and you're not worth the low rate that you're charging um whereas now i feel like i um you know, I'm charging a lot more than I used to charge, which means I see a lot less people. I also have other income streams now, which obviously, you know, the name Do More Than Therapy of my community is all about how passionate I am about having those other income streams, because that really does help take the pressure off um, that hourly rate. But I think, you know, now I, I'm charging more what I'm worth. It means that I can spend that extra time on people you know, I can write an extra letter, I can um, read an extra book, I can spend time thinking. And, you know, I'm saying this, not from a perfect position, like, as, as you know, <laughs> you know, enough of me to know, I can't kind of lie about this and say, I've got it nailed, because I haven't, I don't have enough time still, um, still in the struggle. 
but I'm definitely in a better place than I was a couple of years ago. And I just and want I to think, share with people the difference that pricing properly can make. Yeah, and I think it is as well. You know, we all we we will all burn out. You know, I think this year has been a particularly strong example of that. And I also think that you know the main thing that's finite in your life is the time you have to work. You cannot work more than a certain number of hours, even if you work all of the hours that, you know, there is still a finite number of hours, Mm. but there isn't a finite price that you can charge. So you want to really think about looking at what, what you could charge and what you would need to charge and, and, and kind of push on through the pain of that as well. Cause Mm -hmm. it is, it's totally a mindset thing that you can't charge that. You look at other people and go, well, I can't really charge that. But absolutely you can. There's nothing stopping you doing that. And actually, I think sometimes you can look too cheap. If you're an expert in a certain area and there's not very many of you, actually, you absolutely can charge more. And people would expect that you were more expensive than than somebody who's just got general experience. So mm. it's kind of selling your value to those potential clients. Um and being known as something in particular that you're an expert in, that means that you can charge more. That is a really interesting observation um, because again, my experience was that when my prices were lower, my phone was ringing a lot less with new inquiries than when I put them up. It suddenly seemed to make me a lot more appealing on the directory sites in particular, which really surprised me at the time, but that kind of makes some sense of it. Maybe I was looking too cheap, maybe people didn't recognize um, the specialism so much because of it. I I think that's really important. And especially there's a bit of a wider debate going on at the moment about the position of clinical psychology. I'm a clinical psychologist. We operate within quite a medicalized model where psychiatry is seen as king and psychiatrists typically might be paid three, four, up to 10 times what we're paid um, I've seen um, at times. Um, and sort of within that system, if you're coming in and saying, yeah, I'll I'll see you for 50 quid an hour, which I've been asked to, to work for that by some kind of rehab companies and insurance companies, um, then you're saying that relative to a psychiatrist, that's what we are worth as a profession. And I think if you don't believe that you probably should look at your pricing if that's how low you are. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've gone on a bit of a tangent and a bit of a rant there, but I I think this is actually quite a deep topic Mm. and it's intertwined with, uh, the values we place on ourselves, the values we place on our roles and fundamentally what we think about mental health and, and what we think is a valuable service. I also should add at this point though, that all of that is really important. But if there's still part of you that's screaming that you want to provide a service for people who may be in vulnerable groups where they can't afford these high prices, don't think that charging high fees means you can't help those people because you can charge really high fees for the small number of people that can afford to pay them and then use that profit to do the good. Like That's what a social enterprise is. You don't have to call yourself a CIC even to do that. You can do that in a limited company. You can do with your profit whatever you want. And one of the things I do with my profit is see people for very low cost. Um, And, you know, the Innovation and Mental Health Project is the name of my CIC. And I hope to do a lot more with profit I generate. Um, But I think people often 
feel like they need to charge this low rate to help people who are vulnerable vulnerable people they can't even afford to pay you 50 pounds an hour that's the reality so yeah it kind of helps no one and I think that makes and I think that's a really good point which is that you know it's, it happens a lot not just not just in your areas that people say well I want to help this the person that can't really afford me and it's like well you do still need to pay the bills you are not a charity and whilst you do want to help those people that can't afford you you do need to be realistic about your own you know your own needs and wants in your life mm. and like you say if you charge people loads then you can afford to take on but it's also doing those sorts of things consciously mm. so it's going not just giving away all of your spare time to do something for free but it's going well actually every month I'll do x number of hours for free or I'll do x number of discounted hours or it's kind of that sort of thing so rather than just going oh I'll do it it's going well how many clients do I need to have at this really high price to be able to afford this many clients at this low price so that you're not ending up with a massive amount of low paying clients and no high paying clients mm. because I think you know we there's all the thing of giving back and it, well, the other thing you have to remember is if you're if you're paying yourself more and you're earning more you'll pay more taxes which also helps all of that sort of stuff so don't there's not always the immediate thing as there's the other side of it as well which is if you're earning more you can you're contributing back in a different way as well yeah I think that's really important actually I, I hadn't thought about the tax one for a while um but I think yeah when we get caught in this kind of mindset trap of feeling like earning more is bad makes us bad people I mean gosh we could unpick that for hours couldn't we and yeah I really recommend people do do personal development around those topics I'm going to be bringing some of that into the do more than therapy membership um but yes, starting out with books like um, Denise Duffield Thomas. Um, I can say it because it's my podcast, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch. Yeah, it's a brilliant <laughs> um, book. That's a really, really helpful book for unpicking, particularly female mindset around money. I don't know. Can you recommend any that are more kind of, you know, non female? No, she's, she's, yeah, she's my kind of go to for that sort mm. of thing. Um, no that's probably the, that she's the, yeah she's the main one I think even even if even if you're male I think there's still it's still a good thing there's a lot about kind of how you how money was talked about at home mm. and money doesn't grow on trees and all of that sort of thing mm -hmm. and I think you know the sort of profession you're in people say well you shouldn't care about money and you know you do it all for the good and it's like well yeah you do do it for the good but crikey you know you don't need to be burnt out either you're no good to anybody if you're burnt out or exactly that sort of thing exactly and it's seeing the two things as antithetical you know money versus virtue that actually yeah. doesn't make sense and it's not if I have a, no money I can help no one <laughs> and it's not a sign of your worth how much you're charging mm. so you know we all have it is all tied up because you're like well if I can charge x then I can you know then then that's that's and if somebody won't pay that that's that's about my worth but he's trying to separate that the price in the end and denise always says this the price is just the price mm. there's nothing else to it you just pick a price and go for it and see what happens you know and you can always try different prices and see see what happens try it with new clients you know it can often be harder to put it up with existing clients but as long as you give due notice and that sort of thing, then, you know, keeping putting up your prices is important. And again, making conscious decisions about ones that you don't put up. If you decide not to, that's fine. But make that as a conscious decision that when they leave, the next person will be the next price up. Mm. You know, so when you replace them, 
if they're coming out to an end to the end of their sessions and that sort of thing that you'll replace them with the higher price if you don't feel comfortable putting the prices up but again put prices up by a few pounds at a time every year and say in your stuff i will be reviewing my prices on the first of april every single year and then people expect that i mean you know i think it that happens with me i've got i see a chiropractor regularly the prices go up every year and it goes up by probably about a fiver mm. every year and it i don't really notice because i'm not going to stop seeing them if they're the right person for me to see yeah no i think that's spot on and when we think about other services that we pay for and you know most of us will have had personal therapy at some point we might be in it at the moment i have not begrudged my therapist um putting her prices up um in fact sometimes i might have advised <laughs> my therapist put her prices up um but yeah other businesses that I use hairdressers um I'm very vain about my hair so that's always the first example yeah, I think about <laughs> yeah no I'm terribly vain about my hair too I'm yeah, gutted web... I have to get it done for a month or so I know um but yeah web developers um accountants like your good self I expect all of these people to put their prices up regularly so I I think sometimes we need to question how special we think we are or how special we think our clients think we are. Um, because I certainly, I've never had any pushback when I've put my prices up. So in three years, I've put my prices up four times. I've expected backlash every single time and it has never, ever happened. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Because I mean, you because you might get the odd one that says, well, no, but actually most people, it's too much effort, particularly in the sort of environment that you're in. They found you, they like you, they've got a rapport with you, they're happy to talk to you. You know, finding somebody you like is always, is, you know, that you can open up to is really difficult. Mm -hmm. So actually if they found you, the fact that you put it up by five, ten quid a session is just not going to make the difference, particularly if they know that they're not going to be with you for years and years and years or don't expect to be with you for years and years and years. Mm. Um, but sometimes putting it up for new clients can be, you know, can be a way around it if you feel uncomfortable. And again, it's the thing of going, right, well, I'll put it up for 90% of the clients and there are these few that I that I know can't afford it, but be careful of that. Mm. Because what do, you we, know? what do you actually know? It's mm. amazing how it's that friend that you always think, oh, I must totally split the bill and they pay their exact thing. And then you discover that that actually they're jetting off somewhere really, really nice. And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that they had money. So be careful of your own assumptions about what people can and can't afford. Because sometimes for things like therapy, people might say, well, I'm prepared to sacrifice a huge number of things to be able to afford to do this thing anyway. I mean, maybe not food, but you know, but actually that that was a not huge <laughs> priority, a huge priority in their lives. Yeah, yeah. So they want to get that sorted. So they will pay way more money for that. And there'll be, the, but also there's the person that says, oh, well, I can't afford expensive wine, but has their hair done every mm -hmm. month for 200 quid. So it's just that they don't prioritize that sort of thing. So be careful of what you think people can and can't afford because it's not always true and yes that is such an important issue actually as a therapist in private practice it's something that needs attending to just like any other kind of rupture in a therapeutic relationship if somebody starts to say that they can't afford sessions it's really important to confidently unpick that with them because sometimes there's reality to it absolutely there is and, um, you know, I've got a low cost therapy program and I have transitioned people onto it from my full rate because something terrible has happened in their lives. And, 
you know, their financial situation has massively shifted. That's the reality sometimes. But equally, often that is not the reality. And people are using money as a reason to end therapy. And by blindly just lowering your price for them, you're actually kind of not allowing them the polite way out that they were looking for. Yeah. Or they're struggling to prioritize themselves or maybe their family is struggling to prioritize their well-being. There are loads of different ways of understanding it, but you have to formulate it. You can't just accept because it speaks to your kind of shame gremlins that this really is about money. Um, Because actually that's not doing our jobs. Our jobs are about formulating the problem. Um, And you need to do that when somebody comes to you and says they can't afford you anymore. Because it might be true, it may not be. And there could be something that you need to work on with them around that subject. And I think having a lower cost offering is often a good way around it as well. So there's people that genuinely can't afford you. Instead of saying, yes, I'll put you straight, you know, I'll discount you by 50%. You say, well, actually, there's this, you know, I offer this Mm. if you still want to continue. But it is a lesser, it is whether it actually is or not, but it appears to the client that you are offering something less because they're paying less so that you don't just discount your kind of regular thing. So you maybe have shorter sessions or you have less sessions, you know, or whatever it is, but they kind of, they naturally fall into a lower cost cost thing. So that works, that works quite well. Yeah. I definitely do that with, um, with non-therapy stuff. So like I've got, you know, online courses and things where you can pay more and then you get contact with me or you can pay less and you get the same information but it's all self-serve like you just watch the videos <clears throat> and I think that is a, yeah it's a really great way of doing it for those kind of products like coaching services and um, educational things that we might be producing I don't think it works so well for therapy because we've kind of got an evidence base and we know what's going to be effective yeah. for people um so but but when I think about what is different if you're on my low-cost therapy program you might have a wait um whereas I sometimes run a waiting list for my regular services but most of the time you can get seen straight away but the low-cost program just because the reality is I've, I've got a set number of spaces that I can fill um so the reality is you might have to wait to be on it and I think that's the difference probably yeah um, and I think that, but I think that the, that the client's able to see that there is a difference, mm-hmm. that they are paying something less and that you're not just going, oh, well, you've said you can't afford it because the ne- their mate comes in or they're, you know, somebody they've recommended and says, well, I got it for 50 quid. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, no, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be more than a hundred quid. And it's like, well, well, I want it for that. But it's like, but if you can show that they had a lower, a, a lower offering, then you know and even if it is just you've got to wait longer which in in your sort of environment absolutely makes a big difference Mm. um then I think that that makes a you know that's a good thing to do but it's making it clear that there is a difference even if it's not a very big one yeah yeah I think it is tricky I think therapy is is I was going to say unique I know that that's a problem that we always think that we're unique um but it, it is a difficult service you don't want to dilute the impact of it for anybody mm. you know I would rather not offer it to somebody um than offer something I thought wasn't going to be effective for them um but I think there is something about sort of making it it clear going through a process 
Um, and probably, I think if I was a bigger enterprise, I would have some way of um, assessing, formal way of assessing, like is, is the low cost therapy program the best thing for you? Or would it be better to do some self-study? Or would it be better to go on a waiting list for the NHS service? I don't have anything as, as developed as that worked out at the moment because I'm so tiny <laughs> as an enterprise. But I think those are the things you need to consider. I think really the message here is just don't do anything without really thinking about it because otherwise you'll just do what your, I call them shame gremlins, <laughs> um, but you know, your money mindset issues, your imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it, will take the driving seat and they might not have your best intentions at, at heart. Whereas if you kind of are thoughtful and don't do anything as a knee jerk, think it through, create a process and follow the process, then you're much more likely to get the right outcome for you and the client, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. I think and I think it is. It's about consciously doing stuff and, and recognizing what you can and can't manage, you know, and <clears throat> about how many hours you can work and how much you want to work and how exhausting you find the work and all of that sort of thing. And like you say about, you know, looking after yourself is really important and, and how can you do that? And kind of just, you know, you've got the three variables and there isn't much, you know, price is probably the biggest thing. So you kind of, you know, and I, it's one of those things that you think needs to be benchmarked, I think a lot against competitors, but actually you can charge what, want really yes I was going to ask you actually like what are the biggest mistakes you see people <laughs> like me typically health professionals um, making when we set our fees and is that one of them this kind of benchmarking thing yeah is that you completely benchmark based on your competition but you have no unless you do, I mean you can probably find out but you don't know what level of experience they've got the sorts of the sort of service they're actually offering are they offering the same level of service as you they might be charging twice as much as you but are they delivering a great service and do people recommend them and all of that sort of thing. So be careful of looking at other people because you're not really comparing apples with apples you're always there's always something slightly different and lots of people come to you because you're you not because you are this price people come because they have either heard you are the person to see or they've been recommended you know if your business is very much based on referrals the price is not the is not it's not they're not price sensitive people are coming because they're looking to talk to you and that's i think the thing you have to remember is that that actually they're not looking for just any old therapist they're looking to talk to you um and then the price is just the price and i think it's kind of making sure that you remember your value and that that value is clear in the marketplace whether you're overt about it or not you know that you're clear about you know where you sit what your niche is and that sort of thing um and then you kind of don't have to worry about what other people are charging yeah and I think that's where the mindset piece is so important isn't it it's recognizing that that is true that you are valuable in a different way to your colleague even though your colleague might be an amazing psychologist or therapist um, and they might be charging less than you you don't know why somebody would choose you over them 
it's just bad psychology, I think, to think that people are sitting at their laptops, scrolling, looking for a therapist and making a decision on price. Because, you know, I know from times that I've been struggling that when I'm looking for the person to help me, the price is not the thing. Yeah, so I relatively recently had some therapy for anxiety and I didn't even know the price when I went in uh, because I found somebody who specialised in women with anxiety, uh, particularly of my sort of age. So I was like, actually, I'm not, the price was not the important thing. How quickly can I be seen? And do they have the right expertise that I think that they're going to be able to help me? I'm not very bothered about the price. Yes, there are people who are way more price sensitive, but actually if I'm looking to solve a problem, I'm not really that worried about the price as long as I know roughly what it's going to be. Yeah, I think, you know, there's always a lot of talk about, you know, should you put your fees on your website, for example? And I just think absolutely yes, because I don't expect that it's going to put people off who um, resonate with me, who think that, you know, my blogs, my messaging, my podcasts, for example, they all kind of fit what they want in a therapist. If they've made that decision, I don't think the price is going to put them off. But what might put them off is the fear of the unknown. You know, I, I, I think the awkwardness as a British person having to say to somebody halfway through a like free consultation call or even the first session, ah, how much is this going to be? Is just awful. I remember going to a hairdresser once where I couldn't figure out the price. They did have a list, but I couldn't figure out where I fell on the list. You know, is my hair long? Is it mid-length? Is it short? I didn't know. Um, and I spent the whole time angsting over whether it was going to be 85 pounds or 115 angsting over it even though probably even if I'd known from the beginning it was going to be 115 that would have been okay but I just couldn't stand the not knowing (laughs) and I think it's right you also want to put off people who say you know what that's too expensive Mm. because that's about getting the right people and not wasting your time on free consultations with people who are not really prepared to invest either because they really can't afford it or because they're not quite got themselves up the priority list or whatever it is, but that actually you don't want, you don't want tarkikers who are not going to be serious about investing in themselves. And, you know, you might say, well, you get more people in and all of that sort of thing, but but actually they do have to invest. You know, I do think that if you're investing in therapy in general, there's, it's a reasonable investment, even at the lower end, because you're going to have to go for a few sessions. So actually, if you're investing in at 50 quid, then the difference of the, the type of investment, 100 quid, is, is not that different, really. I mean, obviously, it's, it's more. But, but it kind of, once you've got over the I'm going to invest, actually, how much it is, it, it is slightly less relevant, I think, in the end. Mm, that's a really interesting point so I know that you've got a bit of a a process and a list of things that you make people think about when they're setting their prices can you kind of share that with us yeah so I've got a a pricing calculator so the thing that most people forget to do is to um, add up how many client hours they actually work in a week a month or whatever it is in a year Um, because you often don't work as many client hours as you think you do. Mm. So I, you know, I would say I'd like to say I work three client days a week. I probably don't. I probably can't really fit that much in in the end around the kids and stuff. And then you need to look at your business costs. So what your business takes to run. So if there are if there are costs that are associated with your business, like maybe having a website and all of those sorts of things and keeping all of that up to date, um, plus any other costs that you have. 
and then how much you want to pay yourself. And then you work that out per hour of what that needs to look like. And it's often quite shocking because you don't work as many clients. You can't put it over the total hours for the month because you're not earning that. And that's what you then you need to say, right, I'm earning this every for every client hour that I deliver. That's how much I need to earn. So if you're only doing 10 hours a week, that's how much you've got to earn every hour. And it, it certainly focuses the mind. So I often get people to do that. And it's often a bit of an eye opener. I can uh, really appreciate that. I've, I've used your calculator and I've got the link for it and it will be in the show notes to this episode. And I want every person listening to this to do it because it will come out saying that if you want to earn the equivalent of what you earned in the NHS, we're not talking megabucks, but the equivalent of what you earned in the NHS, you will probably need to charge much more than you think to make yeah. that a reality. Yeah, particularly when you want to, if you want to work less hours in order to avoid the burnout and all of that sort of thing, I think that kind of really thinking about how many hours you work, but also how many days you work. So I've got kids. I don't work for quite a lot of the holidays these days because it saves on, you know, I don't have to organise childcare, but that means I'm not working for 13 weeks of the year or something ridiculous. So, you know, you've got to account for all of that as well. So actually, you know, when you start really looking at how many hours you can actually bill, it's not as many as you think. That is so important because even uh, mine are too young to be at school at the moment. Um, mine are two and four, and so I've I've had childcare that doesn't doesn't take a break um, for the school holidays. But actually, yeah, my daughter's going to go to school next year, and that's going to mean that there are half terms every five minutes. Um, and, yes, and that really is going to have an impact on, on the business and on what I need to earn um, in the time that I've got. And I think, yeah, we forget that. And sort of, I think it plays into this kind of idea that we can have it all at once and run the same kind of business we would do if we didn't have children, if we do. And yeah. I think reality is there have to be compromises in, in places and taking stock like this and looking at your pricing and how many hours. I think that's helpful in so many ways um, to help us take a reality check about what we are doing in our businesses, what we can do. And it's also taking a look at what you actually charged, you know, what have you charged over the last few months and how many hours have your client hours have you worked? Because you probably keep a track of that. It's often something I say to people is keep a track of what you're actually doing. In your type of environment, that probably isn't the case because actually people are are working, you know, uh, you probably keep much better track of the client hours that you're doing simply yeah, because of appointments. Yeah, we will know exactly. We'll know exactly. Um, but I bet what you, but I bet what you don't record is all the time that it takes to follow up or that there's downtime. So if you're seeing a client, do you need half an hour each side? Do mm. you, you know, for every client hour that you deliver, how many hours do you need to be able to deliver that? because um, that's the other side of it as well if if is that you know it's all very well but actually if every client takes you two hours basically you need to be taking that into account when you're when you're pricing as well and being honest with yourself about it because you know I do know people who see seven clients a day back to back and they are okay on that I was not okay on that I need a buffer in between clients and there's a cap. You know, I can only really do good quality work seeing three or four people max a day. Um, and, you know, even that feels like quite a lot for me. I know it's not the same for everybody, but I used to lie to myself about that. And now I don't. 
now I sit down with your calculator and I'm really honest about the number of hours that I think I can do a good job for um, and I'd really encourage everybody to do that think about how many clients you can see and do it well and feel like you're enjoying your work because you're not in private practice by accident like most people listening to this who've started a private practice they've done it for a reason whether they've got caring responsibilities their parents they were suffering from burnout um, in an NHS job. There's always a reason. And I think if we don't take that into consideration, we can just end up pricing ourselves into a burnout job that's exactly the same as what we left. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, you could look at, so I would encourage you to look at what it looks like now mm. and put that into the calculator and then look at where do you want it to be mm. and then go, right, well, how do I get from one to the other? And you start by putting prices up for new clients and you start by doing the small, th- you know, not the small things, but the easy things. And But work towards it and just keep an eye that you're keeping working towards it all the time. It won't happen overnight. You can't suddenly double, you know, you, you won't suddenly double, double your income overnight. But it's also going, well, do I want to double my income or is it that I want to have the same income and see less clients? Mm. So it's being honest with yourself about what you want. So one of the things that I wanted when I started my business was to be able to take the school holidays off. I can't do that if I have a job because I don't get that much holiday. But I have to recognise that there is a that means that there is a limit to how much I can earn and that that's important to me. Mm. So you have to make those decisions. And that's part of the process is being is being clear and honest about what you really think are your priorities and where you want to be you know maybe it isn't about earning more maybe it's just about earning the same but with less stress Mm. and everyone has to be on board with that as well because I always think you know if you've got a partner or you've got a family a business is part of of the family um it's not like a job where because you won't get and let until you get really established, you're not going to know exactly what you're going to earn every month. Therefore, the fact that you have a business impacts on your family. And I think when you're setting out the values, the first thing I get people to do in um, the psychologist business plan and in our like business planning sessions is think about their values and what they're actually trying to achieve with this business. And I actually think that conversation has to be had with all members of the family. Um, because if somebody is expecting you to earn a five day a week salary, but you have set up this business in order to only work three days a week, something's not going to work there. Um, so it's about being really clear and making sure that everybody is clear at the outset about what this business is for before you even start trying to calculate what you need to charge. I think that's so, so wise. Thank you for raising that. Sally. <laughs> um, okay. So. We've talked a lot about what the problems are that we typically have with pricing. So how do you help people to get back on track? Because there's probably people listening to this thinking, oh, no, I've made loads of mistakes. But what do I actually do now? It's never too late. It's never too late. So get my pricing calculator, which will be in the show notes Mm -hmm. um, and have a go at that. If you're really stuck, I do. I offer power hours. Um, We'll put that in the notes as well. Um, If you go to uh, business growth by numbers dot com forward slash speaking there's there's all my kind of main freebies and stuff like that if that was anything else i do have a quiz as well which always helps you to work out your your pricing personality <laughs> um and uh but yeah so power hours are the main way to help further i think at this point so um yeah it's quite a 
so and in an hour we can certainly get to the bottom of where you want to be and how and how we might be able to get there as well so brilliant and also sally is going to be coming in to do a masterclass for us in the new course that we're running in january called the psychology business school so it's a course that aims to help you build your practice in a way that allows you to live your values, help more people and avoid burnout. And I think we can see off the back of this episode how key pricing is to that. So I'm absolutely delighted that Sally is going to be in there um, to do a masterclass for us on this topic. And uh, you will have an opportunity then to kind of thrash this out with those of us who, you know, we've lived and breathed these problems. Um, so we've got Sally's expertise and um combining that with other psychologists and therapists going through the same problems as you because i know we have a real tendency to get stuck in our heads about this stuff so i'm really excited to have a class where we can kind of get together and thrash it out as a group um so if you know that you need to set your prices properly from the beginning or you need to put them right if you've been in practice for a while make sure you come and join us for psychology business school in january i'll put the details in the show notes so thank you so much, Sally. That has been so valuable. I think there'll be a few people who want to listen back to this again and make some notes. Um, but yeah, we will be seeing you in Psychology Business School in January. That's brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. Before you go, I just wanted to check something out with you because I don't know if this is just me. But do you sometimes wake up at two o'clock in the morning worried that you've made a terrible error that's going to bring professional ruin upon you and disgrace your family? (laughs) I'm laughing now, but when I first set up in private practice, I was completely terrified that I'd miss something really big when I was setting up my insurance or data protection practices. Even now, three years in, I sometimes catch myself wondering if I've really covered all the bases properly. And it's hard, no, actually it's impossible, to think creatively and have the impact you should be having in your practice if you aren't confident that you have a secure business underneath you. But it can be really overwhelming to figure out exactly what you need to prioritise before those clients start coming in. So I've created a free checklist plus resources list to take the thinking out of it. Tick off every box and you can see your clients confident in the knowledge that you have everything in place for your security and theirs. You can download it now from psychologist.drosie.co.uk forward slash client hyphen checklist and the link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.